Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey everyone, this is Mark Trichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm excited today to have a second time guest, Mike Bell of Honigman. Mike, how are you doing today? Very good, Mark. Thank you. Very good. I'm going to do a quick intro uh, of your background and then we're going to get to the topic at hand. And Mike is a, is a par- partner and the co-chair of the Financial Institutions Practice Group at Honigman LLC. Honigman is one of the country's 150 largest law firms with more than 325 attorneys practicing in more than 60 areas of law. And Mike, you are the expert of financial institution practices. And another way of saying that is you are uh, the guru, in my opinion, on credit unions acquiring banks. Welcome to the show again. Thanks, Mark. I appreciated our first episode, and I'm glad to be back on episode two to talk about some new twists, perhaps. You got it. You got it. Well, and what triggered me to reach out last week is one of my one of my favorite guys at American Banker, Ken McCarthy, interviewed you and a couple other folks, and he issued a, an article called The Polarizing Question of Credit Unions Buying Banks. And when I saw that, I saw you were quoted throughout it. I thought, you know what? It's time for just an update on where we're at with credit unions buying banks. And I'll talk a little bit about the article itself. So, yeah. So, Mike, you know, we chatted last year and, and you know, the world's changed a little bit. We've gotten further away from the pandemic, pandemic and we've gotten into inflation and we've gotten into Silicon Valley Bank and some other bank issues liquidity is tight at certain places. And so it's a little bit different world than we were in previously. And that might've been one of the reasons American Banker reached out to chat with you. But so what's your take on, on, on you know, the, the article that Ken did or just in general on what's going on with credit unions buying banks today? Yeah, Mark. So if you look in 23, you know, I believe there's only been one transaction announced so far. And so that would make you think, all right, so we're four months in, this must be slowing down. And I would caution against that. I would tell you that, you know, there's three, four, five, six of these that I'm in the middle of that were on the cusp that very well could have announced in February, March, or the very beginning of April here, and haven't for one good reason or another. Um, There's a lot of phenomenons and transactions that cause you know, I won't even say delay, but just change a timeline. However, I will tell you that I think that this most recent, I'm not going to call it a crisis, but the SVB thing, that's how I'll refer to it. Yep. Um, in the end, breaks neutral or breaks positive for credit unions buying banks, but in the very acute short term may have paused a couple deal announcements. I think... Um, that is also happening in the bank-to-bank space as well. I think that we were in this really acute tumult about deposits and bank failures, and, and, and everybody has their eyes focused on the word bank, and nobody wants to say anything about anything, right? But I would tell you, I believe that's now passed. 
So we've had a couple bank-to-bank deals announced. I think you're going to be hearing some things coming from us, from my side, being announced in the near future. And I believe we're past that brief announcement pause due to a unique situation. Got it. And, you know, there was, there's another, I listened to a lot of different financial podcasts and there was a, it might've been an ABA podcast or anyway, they were talking about, about bank acquisitions. And one of the things they were talking about is slowing down is that, that stock was taking, stocks were taking a beating. So if you're going to, if you're bank A and you're going to acquire bank B and you're going to do it by paying them in stock and your stock went down 40% or went down 30%, you're having to give them more shares, right? Or if they negotiated a certain number of shares, it's worth less, right? And I remember last time we chatted, one of the big advantages for credit union deals is their cash deals. So while it may be slowing things down from the bank side, being able to put in good bids. Um, it might make credit union bids actually look better these days. It, what's your take on that? Yeah, Mark, you're, you're spot on. So I said to you that I think it breaks neutral or positive. And in that American Banker article with Ken, I referenced how it could break positive. This is the one, one of the factors that you said. So said a different way competing purchasers, right? So if a bank's going to sell and a credit union's in on the deal and the other banks are in on the deal, those bank buyers, right, their currency has reduced in value in general. There's always exceptions to the rule. But I do think that's real. And I think it, it breaks positive for credit union buyers. Our cash currency doesn't change. Its value is its value. Their stock currency at the moment, in general, perhaps has gone down. And so that does break positive for us. Sure, sure. And, and yeah, in general, because it, it's, it's actual particular banks that are buying and they may have yeah. gone up or they may have gone down immaterially, so it might not matter. But in some instances, it, it, it can probably blow up or like you said, delay some bank-to-bank deals. Correct. That's you know correct. what, so, okay. And one, one other, having read through the article, um, you, you highlighted three areas of, of why it makes sense for credit unions and uh, paraphrasing uh, for, for credit unions to pick up a, a bank, but it was geographic expansion, liquidity, and the addition of talent. Let's maybe walk through each yeah. one of those just real quick here. So the geographic expansion, what is it you're seeing? You got some good examples of how, how that, have helped, that has helped a, some of your clients. Yeah, Mark. So, so those are kind of the three main buckets. And if we look at geography, I think, you know, branches and geography, and I, I use them together, but I also separate them because today, you know, we handle geography with branches and other tools, right, in our credit union space. But that is still a big deal um, to, to buyers, to growing credit unions. And when you look as a growing credit union in entering new geography, right, going to a, to a new place, what's the most efficient way to do it, to use your members' money? I will assert to you that credit union after credit union has determined an acquisition is the most or one of the most efficient ways to do that. So you can have a one-time spend and have instant critical mass, whether you talk about it in terms of loans, deposits, customer members, or brick and mortar or ATMs or ITMs, you name it, however you want to slice it. It's an instant way to gain scale. And by the way, I will tell you, I think the regulators have correctly recognized it's a safe and sound way to go into new territory because it's not speculative. 
and it has that scale that provides, you know, kind of an instant foothold versus Mark, the old fashioned way, which still can make some sense, but buying real estate, building a branch and gutting it out for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, you know, that feels a little riskier at times compared to an acquisition. Once you look at the numbers. Sure. Sure. No, that makes sense. And, and on the branch, the arena of branches, one of the big flavors of, I think our, our past podcast, but also this article was the fact that the, the credit unions tend to keep branches open, tend to keep employees. And there was a statistic in Ken McCarthy's article. Again, the article was March 31st, so last day of last month, that since 2004, credit union branches have increased by more than 1,500 and bank branches have, have reduced by almost 6,000. So that that's quite a material difference now you can't say uh you can't say it's all directly tied to the to the purpose of serving modest means and the good hearts of credit unions but but pick a number pick a percentage some of it has to do with that the not for profit not for but for service approach to this yeah mark it's a big deal and i think it's a big deal i think in two ways one i think as a seller there is value that they place in this idea of no branches being closed, community still being served, you know, employees remaining. Let's not forget that a community bank or a small bank and a credit union are like kissing cousins. We have more in common than we have different, right? When you it comes it. to that. So that's a big deal. And then I'll just add, let's not get political here, but I will add that when I, you know, on this issue testified in front of, I think, four different state legislators late legislators in the past two years. The statistic you mentioned is a big deal because one, it's true. Two, it matters to the folks. So the fact that credit unions as an industry are net positive in branches and are building more um, is a big deal. And I've seen it literally in the legislators' faces when they're presented with these statistics, they realize, oh yeah, wait, this is a little different. This is important for my constituents. This prevents banking deserts. And I give credit, you know, to NAFQ and CUNA where credit is due. They've got some great statistics on this very fact about the net branch opening versus net branch closure, the lack of banking deserts, and the fact that even though we're a small slice of the pie, we're the slice of the pie that is actually fighting and winning that battle. And right, that's a big right. Yeah, and that aha moment where you can give them something they can grab onto to help them. They're sitting there trying to make up their mind, and that that sounds like that's a stat that can help definitely yeah. help make uh, help them make up their minds. So liquidity, you know, kind of, liquidity is the topic of the day. I've said, I've said in some of my podcasts that liquidity doesn't matter until it matters. And then it's the only thing that matters. And there's a lot of that going on right now, but it's a great access for liquidity. You've seen your clients be able to tap into whether it's an institution they acquire that has a lower loan to share ratio or um, some potential for growth if they go in there into an underserved area that has, you know, a pent up demand. What any thoughts relative to liquidity? Yeah, Mark. So look, you you've been in this industry a very long time, a little bit longer than I. Um, but you and I both, even in my short 20 year career, I can remember sitting in my seat. All we talk about is liquidity. And then it swings. All we're talking about is trying to trying to make loans and assets, and then it right. swings and it's liquidity. So I was sitting in my seat probably 2019, and every client's calling me, you know, wanting liquidity. And we're doing deals to find liquidity. And then it flips. And in 2021, 20, 22, everybody's like, 
I need assets. Let's let's find some loans. Let's do deals to find loans. So this is not new. This is absolutely cyclical. But I would say right now in this moment, more more buyers than not have that liquidity factor out there and are looking for things that provide it. And surprise, surprise, if you in general look at small banks, community banks, chances are they're liquid operations. I'm generalizing, but you can generalize. Look at billion dollar in size and under banks, and you're going to see their, what they call their loan to deposit ratio. We call it loan to share. 50%, 60%, 70%. And Mark, if you look at the credit unions, essentially that I work with, right, that, that have buy, buy banks with me and their peers, the 100 and 150 or so, you're going to see historic loan to share ratios at 90, 100, 110, 116, right? That's just how they've always operated. So these transactions absolutely can provide an influx, again, of kind of instant liquidity or be a part of your liquidity puzzle. So, so there's a reason why you talk to the guys at Olden Lane, right? Or people like them, they're a part of the liquidity answer. Um, there's a reason why you would perhaps want to speak to me. This could be part of a liquidity answer. It's a complicated puzzle, but it is one of the things that's happening today. And you'll see when you look at some of the transactions that will announce in the near future, you can discern liquidity was a piece of that puzzle. Very good. Yeah, looking forward to seeing those get announced. I'm sure you are and that your clients yeah. are as well. So exciting things coming down the road. And then, so lastly, the, the, third, le the third leg of that stool, if you will, the addition of talent. The article spoke to particularly tied to commercial loans. I, I think there was a stat that said uh, credit unions that had acquired banks had about twice as much in their book of business after the merger than the average credit union on commercial loans. But it's not just limited to that type of skill set, but any, any general thoughts on additions yeah. of tech that, that people are seeking out in this? Yeah, Mark. I, I, and I, I, in fact, I call it kind of talent and capabilities because I loop the people in with perhaps the technology or, or whatever, you know, the systems the bank has, but that is real. And it's interesting because you can't necessarily put a dollar figure on that, but you can see the material impact it has on a buyer when they gain it. And just to break it down, I think the commercial piece is the lowest hanging fruit just because of banks nature. They're more commercial in nature. We're more retail in nature. That, that's a generalization, but it's essentially true. And on that commercial side, I will just, I want to point something out to folks. I think sometimes when people think about that, right, commercial talent, they just go to kind of loan officer and stop. And I'll tell you that it's true. We get some great loan officers, but I want to open your eyes and remind you that a true operation that serves small businesses is all inclusive. So we're talking about treasury management, sweep accounts, deposit accounts that are done in a certain way that that small businesses need and want. And we're gaining talent that is that full package. So we've got them on the lending side, the deposit side, the cash management side. And Mark, I would tell the credit union listeners, look in your industry at the credit unions that serve small businesses well and completely. And you're gonna see they do have an A to Z package now that, that does all the deposit piece, all the loan piece and all the in-between, and it's rather dynamic. And here's the last thing I'm going to say. I absolutely believe that this, this commercial, which sounds like a big word, 
like means a massive business, but this business piece is 100% in line with our mission. So today, today, if you knock on the door of a regional bank or a bigger community bank, and you're a small business that doesn't have millions of dollars, they're essentially going to say, mm, yeah, we can kind of help you, but it's just not in their field of vision appropriately, by the way, kudos to them. You know, they're doing their business. But it is within ours, and these people need to be banked, and they need to be served by a financial institution, and it's a perfect fit for us. I'll give you an unrelated example. Today, unless you have $5 million or more dollars in your estate, you're probably not going to get trust services at a bank. They're not seeking you out. Credit unions have bravely been in this space and are expanding in this space, and we're serving people of modest means a few hundred thousand dollars in a whole estate, 500,000, a million. And we're filling that gap in the trust services area. It's really cool. There's three or four different CUSOs out there doing great work. It's the exact That's same in the business space. So I reject bankers' blanket statements or even some folks in our industry that assume, no, we're consumer only. I think that's a mistake. There are amazing business services we can provide to grassroots, you know, red, white, and blue American small businesses that are currently not banked. They don't have a home or they have a hard time having a home and we can make a real difference there. And now, these transactions give you that exact capability. Now that makes a lot of sense. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, you know, you, you credit unions, good consumer-based credit unions have to be able to cross-sell so that they can serve everybody best and, and make enough profit so that they can serve everybody the way they want to and, you know, and, and be here 10, 20, 30 years down the road. But, but by acquiring a commercial-based a commercial bank, you pick up all those abilities to cross-sell to everything involved in that business, just as you, you so eloquently stated. So, you know, so one last thing that, that caught my eye in the article um, was a reference to a tra bank transaction in 2011 with United Federal Credit Union, which I think was when you and I met because uh, I was the regional director I, that ended up approving that in, in region one when I was the regional director in Albany uh, back at that point in time. So, it, but uh, that, that made me smile seeing that. I, I can't remember if that was the first one you did or the, there was some reference towards that being a, one of your transactions. Yeah, Mark, first, I, I want to say that you were in Albany and I was in Michigan at that point. Now I live in Florida and you spend a lot of time in Florida. So we got a little weather smarter. I'll give us credit for we that. We did. Yeah. Um, and second, yeah, that that one, that transaction, United Federal and Griffith Savings Bank is, is essentially the first ever. The way that was the first time I formed the transaction type and kind, it got approved and it just built from there. Um, and the rest has been history after that. The same form, this idea of a whole bank purchase and assumption was created at that point and pulled off. And that's right. I, I built it and you approved it. Um, and my life has never been the same since. So it's interesting. Yeah, very good. And, and here we are, April yeah. 2023. You've done um, hundreds of these or, or a, a, a lot of these. You're the, the industry leader in this. And if so, if somebody listening here today is contemplating doing this, they just want to, they just want to, you know, talk to you about, hey, this might work for us. I've heard some things here that that might be of assistance. Another, By the way, another thing I think uh, acquisitions of branches that banks are closing, I think, is also something that you've helped credit unions with. So if someone's looking at that or wanting to get into the game of acquiring bank, a bank, 
What's the best way for them to reach you, Mike? Yeah, Mark. So, and, and I'll just add a third prong to that too. I don't want one thing to go unsaid. So this is about acquiring banks, like you said, bank branches, or then the other businesses that um, like investments, insurance, trust services, we're doing that all the time. Credit unions are great in those spaces. And so it's really about acquisitions in almost any aspect of those businesses, just to be clear. Got it. Uh, and I'm easily found and very active, like you are, Mark, on LinkedIn. You can, you can get me there very simply. And then my email is my first initial M, last name Bell, B-E-L-L, at Honigman, H-O-N-I-G-M-A-N.com. Happy to speak to to the fine folks in the credit union industry about any of these ideas. And I'll leave you with this thought. So I think it's risky uh, or not wise to not consider or have the conversation. There was a lot of knots in there, but let me say this a different way. This isn't for everybody. Um, and I think the best thing to do is to determine if it is or it isn't. I think then your job is done. So there's nothing wrong with looking at it and deciding, yeah, this isn't for us. I call that a win. You know, if you can cross off a strategy, then you can just focus on other things. The thing I caution against is not giving it the thought and perhaps missing the bus, right? So I just encourage folks to consider things and either yes or no is the absolute correct answer. The mistake is not considering. You got it. You know, life's all about having options and maintaining your options. And if you don't, ask questions relative to this, you may be missing a really good opportunity for your credit union, for your members, and an ability to help even more people. So That's right. um, fantastic, Mike. I appreciate you jumping on here real quick. I reached out last week after this came out, and uh, thanks for the update on on what's going on in, in all things related to what you do for Honigman. I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll catch up again soon, okay? Yeah, thanks, Mark. You got it. And listeners, I want to thank you for listening. This is Mark Treichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com. 